Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. The FT. Welcome back to Banking Weekly with me, Patrick Jenkins. This week, we'll be talking about how insurance companies are maybe providing banks with a new source of liquidity. It's all about defined benefit pension schemes, getting those the volatility and the risk of those kind of exposures off of ordinary corporate balance sheets into the hands of insurers, banks, reinsurers, other people who are supposedly better prepared and, and able to handle those sorts of risks. Then we'll take a look at the latest news from the Basel Committee, the International Regulators for Banks, and what they're saying about COCOs and hybrid debt. Basel has not yet pronounced on contingent convertible itself because it has very strict definitions of what counts, but it is looking at hybrid capital. But we start today with a look at JP Morgan's results, which came out on Friday, and what they mean for the upcoming results from other US banks later this week. Joining me to discuss this and all this week's topics is Charlene Goff, our banking correspondent, Brooke Masters, our chief regulatory correspondent, and Paul J. Davis, who joins us for the first time this week. He's our insurance correspondent. So we'll start off with with JP Morgan. Charlene, you've been looking at the numbers that came out on Friday. They looked pretty, pretty impressive. And the boss of JP Morgan, Jamie Dimon, was sounding pretty upbeat, really. Yeah, he was. The profits were up almost 50% to about... $18 billion. So a real recovery there for JP Morgan following obviously a very difficult year last year. And this was really driven by a big recovery in the in the retail side of the business losses on mortgages coming down quite sharply, uh, losses on credit cards also coming down. And this was coupled with sort of slower revenues from from the investment bank. And that seems to be a trend that we're going to see throughout the industry this week. One of the things that boosted their numbers was a big release of provisioned reserves for for losses, which I'm guessing is something we're likely to see from some of the other banks later this week, particularly Morgan Stanley and and Goldman Sachs. Yeah, exactly. We should see that coming through. And and that also in the US is coming coming with a sort of more broad recovery. You know, like you said, Mr. Diamond was quite upbeat about consumer spending. That seems to be coming back a bit. You know, he was saying that this is the start of sort of a, a broader US recovery, which should push up shares and get people feeling... A lot more confident. Obviously, the likes of Goldman will be offset by weaker revenues from the investment bank, and that will hit trading revenues there. And that should also hit the bonus pools, which is the the big uh, issue this week. As at Morgan Stanley, I suppose. But it'll be interesting to see how they compare overall. The shares in JP Morgan, I think, bounced quite sharply, didn't they? Up by about 3% on Friday. So, um, and likewise, their peers in the industry also were boosted by JP Morgan's results and the expectation that they would be up a bit this week. What about the carry across for European banks which start reporting 
the following week. Is there stuff to say there? I guess it's the the, the banks that look most like JP Morgan that are going to follow this similar trend. I think it's going to be a real mixed bag this time. I mean, in the UK, you've obviously got banks, RBS and Lloyds, with their own big problems. So, you know, they're still going to take a while for any sort of recovery to come through. Barclays will be a bit of a mixed picture. I mean, there's some concern over the kind of slowdown that might have been seen in, in Barcap. Likewise, ac- across Europe. So I think it's too early to say, right, we're really far into the recovery and, you know, things are really gathering momentum now. But things generally, the signals are that this is going to be a bit better, a lot more positive than it was last year when we real, saw real washout results from the banks. One final thing on, on JP Morgan, interesting on what they chose to pay their bankers. They paid a so-called compensation ratio, which includes basic pay and, and bonuses of about 37%, which is way down on the kind of historic levels of between 40 and 50% for, for Wall Street. But it's actually higher than it was a year ago. Brooke, do you think that heralds what Wall Street across the board is likely to do and what we're going to see generally? I think so, because remember, last year was a phenomenally profitable year for a number of the investment banks. So they could deflate their, the percent they set aside for revenue without actually hurting their people. I think also, as we're starting to see, even in the U.S., there is some pressure to control bonuses. Uh, Sheila Baer last week, who runs the FDIC, said that, that they were looking to force deferrals of bonuses. And the U.S. has really been the holdout on trying to control banker pay in so some way. From a regulatory point of view, it does look like the U.S. is going to come into line with the rest of the world, at least to some extent. I think to some extent, probably not quite as harsh as the EU rules that have kicked in this year. But certainly the U.S. is less of an outlier than it was. Well, we're going to see... Sorry, Charlene, you wanted to say something on that. No, I mean, just with these bonus figures, I mean, you can sort of spin them either way because you've got the lower averages per per person and particularly with Goldman they've been hiring very aggressively recently and and you know per person they're likely to be down but like you say the overall sort of proportion of revenues being paid out a lot of banks have have to boost those up their senior bankers can actually get you know the pot of money that that they want to yeah, stay absolutely. so they so you can it's quite a, it's going to be quite an interesting bonus round where you can see the sort of different trends emerging now that banks are having to uh, having to reconcile really. yeah. and we're going to see that I'm sure played out particularly sensitively in the next week or so I think probably later this week we're going to have news in the UK from the so-called Project Merlin which is debating how banks should pay their people and also the lending commitments they should make so we'll be, we'll be watching out for that we turn to Paul now on on this topic of how insurers can play a role to help banks with their liquidity needs the news here I suppose the interesting thing that happened last week is Goldman Sachs their pensions buyout arm, which is called Rothsay Life, finally won this deal to buy out Paternoster, which was one of the original alternative specialist startup pension insurers from sort of just before the crisis. Not a, a huge deal in itself. It's, I mean, it's interesting. It doubles the size of Goldman's pensions business to about seven billion sterling worth of business done. And UK specific businesses. Just yeah, I mean, it's all about defined benefit pension schemes, getting those the volatility and the risk of those kind of exposures off of ordinary corporate balance sheets into the hands of insurers, banks, reinsurers, other people who are supposedly better prepared and and able to handle those sorts of risks. And Goldman definitely wants to continue to expand that sort of business in the UK and elsewhere as well as it becomes more viable as something to do, especially for Goldman's clients. But it also gives Goldman a, a, a good pool of pretty liquid fixed income assets, sovereign bonds, high grade corporate debt, as well as some, you know, more 
crappy corporate debt, which is yeah. what got Pat and Oster into trouble in the first place, yeah. which they can then lend either to themselves through swap deals to their own sort of the Goldman Sachs balance sheet or on to other kind of commercial banks who are more in need of funding. And this is something that we've already seen a lot of investment banks trying to sell as an idea to insurers and pension funds, sort of increasing talk about it in the in the last few months of last so year. The investment banks are go-betweens between the, the, the insurance company liquidity that's basically there and available and banks that are crying out for liquid funds exactly. to Exactly, yeah. To I mean, the whole of this, all of this comes about because the financial crisis put a monetary value on liquidity, in, in essence. Liquidity, liquid assets being things that people are happy to trade, happy to hold, where the markets are functioning, and you know that you can always get rid of them if you need to num- some cash. It's going to become even more important to find new sources for, for these assets as, as the special liquidity support scheme at the Bank of England and, and ECB schemes are wound down. And the Bank of England, in its financial stability report, called these kind of repo trades with insurers as a good sort of private sector replacement for that sort of thing. There's also an issue with the Basel Committee having said that starting in, in 2015, there will be requirements for banks to hold a certain amount of liquid assets to make sure they can get through a market crisis that lasts 30 days or so. so and it's not just that the market's not working properly, it's actually that the, the standards are going to get higher. So for two reasons, there's kind of going to be an extra exactly. demand for this kind of stuff. And obviously, if they can find a way that will let the banks have the liquid assets in case of crisis, but does protect the pension schemes at the other end, so that if all else fails and the bank goes bust, the, the pension scheme or insurer is not left without some sort of assets to back their their business. I guess that is an important point that listeners might be interested in. Yeah. You know, what well, these, happens I mean, with these, these assets? These swaps are always collateralized, and one of the interesting things about all of this is the fact that for the insurer, the only risk, extra risk that you supposedly bear is the counterparty risk, i.e. the risk that the bank fails. Now, it's a double-A credit or something like this or higher. It's a, it's a fairly sort of low risk. However, the, the asset that you might be taking in, in, uh, in exchange for the uh, government bonds or high-grade corporates that you're swapping out is not going to be as good as that, mostly. Mm-hmm. And the, th- the the interesting thing is is that you don't actually have to recognise the risk of that asset because it's not really yours, it's just there in case the bank fails. Whereas the bank gets to recognise the more liquid, higher-quality assets, mm-hmm. reduce its risk-weighted assets and therefore its capital. Yeah. And one of the interesting things about this whole subject is if it becomes an enduring, a habit-forming trend, if it replaces the liquidity schemes and doesn't just become a transition but becomes something that's set up for a long time, then... Those sorts of arrangements lead to a, a kind of an artificial lowering of, of capital between the two legs of the trade and therefore in the system, which is exactly the kind of risk and capital shell games that got us into this mess in the first place. Well, we'll have to keep a close eye on that. We'll be relying on you, Paul, to, uh, to make sure that this doesn't spiral out of control. While we're on technical points of capital management, Brooke, you've been also taking a look at the latest that the Basel Committee, the international regulator, has to say about another element of the balance sheet game, so-called contingent convertible bonds and how they might work in the new bank capital makeup. Basel has not yet pronounced on contingent convertible itself because it has very strict definitions of what counts and that it's not going to do for a while. But it is looking at hybrid capital, which of course was used by many banks, particularly in the UK but also elsewhere, to bolster their stock of tier one capital. And the problem with this stuff in the financial crisis was that it was absolutely not loss-absorbing. The taxpayer took the hit long before the bondholders even had to have their shares suspended. As various people point out to me, in some cases in continental Europe, it actually was loss-absorbing. So there's an interesting question, like what went wrong in the UK? So what Basel has said is starting 
in 2013. If you're going to have some sort of hybrid capital, which is generally something like a preference share or some sort of debt that converts in a time of urgency, it actually has to have a formal trigger written into its documentation saying that if the financial regulator, say the FSA here or whatever the FSA is going to be, be the PRA, says this bank is going bust, it's non-viable unless we trigger this, then they can convert it over and it's supposed to save the bank. Just to use the dreadful adjective, it needs to be bail-inable. The problem with the pronouncement is that it's very short on detail, and no one is 100% sure what they mean by the regulatory trigger. There isn't a hard trigger like, you know, if your capital falls below 5%, this goes boom. And so there is some nervousness about whether they're going to be able to sell this stuff. Paul, did you want to add something on that? Yeah, well, the, the interesting thing about all of these new instruments is who is actually going to buy them, and insurers and pension funds especially, obviously, were very, very big investors in hybrid bank debt, more junior bank debt. Uh, helping to fund the expansion of their balance sheets going into the crisis. Mm. Now, this sort of this kind of convertible stuff is is incredibly difficult for most areas of insurance and pension asset management funds or, or units to buy because while they can hold certain types of they have very strict rules and they can hold certain types of debt of certain grades mm. in certain proportions, but maybe cannot hold equities at all. It seems likely with the kind of blurring of the line between equity and debt that we're probably going to have to have new funds set up specifically to buy this stuff. I know uh, the hedge funds, for example, are kind of looking at the idea of setting up specific cocoa funds or bail-inable debt funds. So it'd be very interesting to see how this all changes the market. It's, it's, it's bound to change, I think. Sadly, that's all we have time for today. We'll be watching over the coming week the US results very closely, and this time next week we'll be looking ahead to the Davos agenda. This is the uh, World Economic Forum that convenes uh, from next Tuesday. We'll also have the return of stateside, our look at the US banking agenda. It's all next week. For this week, all that's left is for me to thank Charlene, Brooke and Paul, and to thank you for listening. Banking Weekly was produced by LJ Filotrani. Until next week, goodbye. For more downloads, go to ft.com forward slash podcasts. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the Internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.